0: What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away into being executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Amira. An inmate at the California State Prison. San Quentin, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a group of people around me. was just me.
1: Soon after you went into to be on death row,
0: <laughs>
1: Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagura. And we have a really interesting case today. I had never heard of this guy, Robert Ben Rhodes. What's he called? The truck stop killer? What's his name? Yeah, he's the truck stop killer. And one of our
0: listeners on Patreon suggested that we look at this guy and really take a look at him. And You know, honestly... I had heard of him, I knew who he was, but I never really studied the case as well in-depth as I have over the last few days. And man, one of our Patreon subscribers, which I won't mention their name, I know they are They said they, they didn't want to be mentioned, but um, look, they picked a real good one. This guy is a special insect right here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, really depraved scary stuff so we'll get into it just want to remind everyone to follow us on instagram and facebook at death row diaries and definitely check out our patreon page that is patreon.com slash death row diaries where you will get bonus content we're shooting for an episode a week maybe it's three a month we're still getting this figured out we're doing the best we can uh, before we start bill i meant to ask you this must be a really exciting week for you because you you might get to meet a celebrity in prison.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, I already saw him.
1: Were you a fan of that '70s show? I wasn't really.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I am a fan of the show. I still watch <laughs> it some of the reruns sometimes. You know, I mean, what can we say? You know, Donna was a really beautiful girl, right?
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah, it wasn't a bad show. I really like the dad, the guy who played the dad. He's in the show Patriot that I that I love. Uh, so is Masterson going to, yeah. Danny Masterson's going to have an okay time there in Corcoran? Well,
0: he's not on my yard, but he came into r and a couple of days ago. He was, he's on the 3A yard, which is a level three prison. You know, I don't know how he's going to do. I don't know if, uh, it really depends on how he acts and what he, how he, conducts himself but yeah he's here and um I'm sure he's gonna find out really quickly that you know prison for child actors or whatever it's never really the, the funnest place in the world people think that you're rich right away there's gonna be people pressuring him there's gonna be people you know some guys watch these shows and they think that it's still him from that time they're gonna ask him you know what's Donald's phone number what's Fez's you know what, what's Fez really like It's going to be an interesting time for him. You know, he's been a free guy all these years, and now he is going to be dealing with convicts, killers, rapists, child molesters, all kinds of weirdos. Well, maybe he might be right at home. You never know.
1: Yeah, well, he's a rapist, but not maybe the same kind. I don't know. Uh, So, Rhodes, this guy's just a freak. This guy's an S&M freak and uh he's he tortures and he he kills a lot um now i guess if we want to go to the beginning of the story we do know that his dad was a pedophile right he was his father was arrested
0: for molesting and and i say alleged because he was charged but before he can go to trial uh his father committed suicide. So we don't know exactly the facts of that case, only that he was arrested and charged with the molestation of a 12-year-old little girl.
1: Yeah, so that's a pretty bad sign, you know. I don't know. I don't know for a fact that he did it. I would say getting charged is even a bad sign, but what do we know about his upbringing?
0: Yeah, so from the beginning, he's known as his truck stop killer. His name is Robert Ben Rhodes, and he is considered and he is an American serial killer. He has the convi- he has, he was convicted of four murders. But don't let that fool you. This guy actually killed upwards of 50 women by torture, rape, and it, it didn't matter. It could have been girls of the age of between 12 and fully grown women. So this guy is exactly that. He was active between 1975 and 1990 as a killer. Um, You know, it's a little deceptive because in most reports about him, they say, well, he's guilty of killing four people, two couples. Um, Although that may be true, it is also misleading. This guy killed those couple, because and and he was caught for those couple. The bodies were found, and he confessed to them, so we know he did that. He killed a lot more people. He had a cab that was rigged for an overnight sleeper. It was a torture chamber. It had chains, it had whips. He had a very special suitcase with all these different toys and torture devices. This guy was a special... um, type of killer, but I did jump ahead of myself there. So let's go to his beginnings. He was born in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Um, he was raised by his mother at first, until his father left the army. He was stationed in West Germany, by the way. And his father, they became a firefighter. There really is no signs of any type of abuse, or any type of Signs that he actually was going to become a serial killer. I've mentioned this before. uh, Sometimes serial killers feel around the dark. They light fires. They torture animals. They become peeping toms because they're trying to figure out who they are. With this guy, we have no signs of anything. The first time that we hear of any type of red flag, He's already well into high school. And by the way, he's an athlete, a wrestler. He played football. He was in a French club. This guy was not unpopular. He, girls dated him, but at the age of 16, he was arrested for tampering with a car. And basically that can mean anything. That can mean that he played with the mirror. He tried to open the door. Uh, he looks at the hood to look at the engine. You never know. It, it just says tampering with a car. And then at age 17, which is 1962 by this time, he is uh, arrested for a fight. Now, that, there's not a whole lot there. Um, I can't say that, I don't know, maybe 60% of kids in high school get in some type of trouble like this, a fight here, a fight there not that big of a deal i don't see any signs here that would lead me to believe that this guy was a sexual sadist that he would enter the uh ddsm uh, scene and become well an extremely
1: prolific serial killer yeah he's uh apparently a charming guy he's you know He's a he's a good looking guy. He he looks like a normal guy, like a you know a nice guy. Um, and yeah, I I mean I feel like the leather leather scene was more common back then. I mean it was always a little weird, but I'm sure most of it was harmless, right? But um, you know, I guess if you're into if you're into BDSM, that could mean a lot of things. It could be kind of kind of a goofy thing you do or you could you know you could really want to be hurting people as well
0: right so that's that's interesting you say that so he is involved in the BDSM scene um, bondage domination so it's interesting for me because looking at him now you see that he's able... By the way, most serial rapists, killers, they most of the time they're pretty to themselves. They don't allow anybody to know who they are. And quite frankly, when they do get caught, people think, man, I had no idea this guy was that guy. But this guy's different. He's involved in the S&M movement. He's in that scene. He's, you know, chipped the chains, whips. He likes this type of stuff. And it's almost like he's, he's having a glass of wine before he goes into hard liquor. It's really interesting because he is one of those rare guys that indulges in his fantasy, but he's not totally living it out. And with this guy, you can tell that his occupation basically opened the door for him to do what he wanted to do. And so why I say that so there are people you see there's pedophiles that live next to schools or close to elementary schools and if you're ever to catch them doing what they do they're looking at kids they're fantasizing about kids but they actually don't go out there and grab a kid and do anything to them um, and this guy does something similar to that by being in the S&M scene he's getting a taste of what he likes but he can control it. So he's basically sipping at the wine and not really indulging in the whole bottle. If that brings it any closer to you. But when he graduates from high school, and by the way, he did graduate, he went into the arm, uh, to the Marine Corps and he would have been dishonorably discharged. In other words, he fucked up. And how he fucked up was that he went and became involved in a robbery.
1: So he's involved in a robbery.
0: Yeah, he. You know, he, this guy isn't isn't the perfect guy. He's not uh, a choir boy. He's not a Boy Scout. But nothing there tells me that this guy's he's really a bad guy. He's gonna start killing and raping. So obviously he leaves the Marine Corps, or they actually tell him to get the hell out of Dodge because they dishonor you, discharge you for robbery. Mm-hmm. Then he then he enters college, and well, he's kicked out of there too. He tries to join law enforcement. He wants to become a cop. And that does not work out because he is rejected because obviously of the robbery he had and the reason he was discharged from the Marine Corps. So he goes from job to job. He tries to be a grocer. He tries to be a hardware store attendant. All these things lead him down a particular road, which is to become... A long haul trucker. And for me, it really does speak to this guy's frame of mind. Now, of course, long haul truckers make pretty good money, but what it does is it puts you in a position where you can do a lot of thinking. So we hear about people that go to prison or they have crises in their life and they become self reflective and they learn about themselves. With this guy, I believe the long-haul trucking, the time alone on the road where he's thinking the whole time serves as the breeding ground. What most guys do by lighting fires, torturing animals, and do all these little things, he's kind of stalking in his mind. He's developing in his mind, and he's that scene that he likes, the BDSM, begins to evolve into something that he really is that would would have taken him a little bit longer to do it but it's coming about and it's coming about on the road and look we look at this guy after he is caught but during that time that he is a long haul trucker a lot of stuff is going on it becomes public that he is in the BDSM he is not a horribly bad looking guy He marries actually three times. He has a child with his first wife. Um, There is now a hint that he can be violent. His third wife, Deborah, reports that he was both sexually, physically, and emotionally abusive. That doesn't really say that he is a serial killer because if that were the case, there'd be millions of guys every day arrested for being serial killers because of being abusive in their relationships. So, you know, we have no bodies. No one has linked this guy to anything, Matt. No one knows he exists. No one knows that he's doing these things, but he's actually already from around. Law enforcement believe that by 1975, he is murdering and killing. He doesn't get caught till 1990, 15 years later. Well, I, I believe that the killing started probably a little bit before that, but he obviously is doing this. He, they found in excess of 50 bodies. They can't directly link to him, but they were on his routes. Was he guilty of every one of them? Possibly, probably not. But I'd say that a, a large portion of the women that they found and the ones they didn't find. Because remember, this guy would leave bodies in deserts where no one would find them, in barns. So,
1: yeah, I'd say his numbers around 50. So, can we go back? You said uh, he tried to be a grocer, uh, a store clerk. Um. Do you you think that he just couldn't, uh, you know, handle interacting with people like like he's antisocial, like he he actually couldn't do those jobs? Like a lot of um, troubled people, they just get fired from every job because they have conflicts with everyone or they creep people out or whatever. But, you know, also the long haul trucking for a guy with only a high school diploma, no higher education That was a good job back then. So do you think he fell into that because it was solitary and, you know, he didn't have to answer to anyone or because it was a good job or because he was planning on doing what he ended up doing?
0: Well, I I think that all of the above are correct. I mean, I believe that a guy that only high school diploma. This is a good job. I'm sure people told him these guys make good money. You answer to nobody. You have your own work schedule. As long as you make the, the right timing or make the schedule, you do what you want to do. I think that's attractive to a guy like this. I also believe that along the way, he probably saw or met someone that was a long-haul trucker that told him how it is, and I'm sure that those conversations happened, and he talked about truck-stopping lizards. It's a variation of names that they call these young girls – sometimes sex workers that hang out at these truck stops. And I think that caught his attention. Now, I can't say for sure. But it's always along those lines. Guys usually don't start robbing banks or robbing a bunch of stuff unless someone hints them with this could be lucrative or this could be a good idea. So I think he, along the way, found out about picking up people. That people, there's a lot of hitchhikers in the road, especially in the 1970s, a lot of people hitchhiked everywhere they went. It was right after the Flower Power Movement. This is a very different time in the United States. And I think he took advantage of it. It's like I mentioned before sometimes pedophiles will live close to schools. It's not that they're actually snatching the kids and doing anything, but they're fantasizing. They're using the ground for their own fertile brains when it comes to thinking about this stuff and having a school right next to them makes it easier with this guy. I think that had to do with it too. He knew he'd run across hitchhikers and he knew he'd have an opportunity to actually kill.
1: Yeah. And he had a placard on his dashboard that said cash, grass or ass, which I always thought was kind of funny in a crude way. Um, but, you know, after reading this story, it's really not. <laughs> so, you know, meaning those are the, uh, the three forms of payment you give if you if you get a ride from the trucker. I always assumed it was a joke. But uh, anyway, do you think that he starts off picking up hitchhikers um maybe wanting something consensual do you think he's he just wants to scare them or or how do you think it progresses or does it do you think he kills the first hitchhiker that he picks up i don't know
0: yeah i don't think he he starts off just killing it there's a bit of hesitation there after all he is a human being although one with no conscience and zero empathy for anyone um he um Look, and by the way the saying is ass grass or cash no one rides for free and i know that saying because in the 1970s i had a poster like that on my freaking wall in my bedroom so i know that it, and it had a little guy smoking weed and, and a bunch of girls with you know large breasts and big booties it was something a kid bought at a stoner shop uh, uh, yeah they, they used to call them uh, god what was the name of those shops they were called like uh, head, shop? head shops yeah you could buy yeah, you could buy bombs, you could buy stuff, but that poster was very famous in the 1970s right. and people had it on their cars. Truckers are also guys that did this. So what I believe went on and, and, and I think that his crimes tell the same story is that, you know, he'd pick up these girls. He was already the S and M sexual sadist, whatever the hell you want to call it scene. And this guy is, by the way, sexual sadist. He enjoys the torture and hurt people. And, um, He rapes, tortures them for weeks, and then he kills them. I believe that what happened was that – and we have evidence of this, by the way. This is not me speculating on what really happened. Um, And and I'll tell you what the case. There was a young woman by the name of Shanna Holtz, and an 18-year-old girl, she was abducted by this monster, and she was placed in this – Bedroom behind the truck. It's kind of a, a cab. It's an overnight sleeping cab that big Peterbilt have And in this particular one, he had her chained there, chained up. She was uh, nude. He usually sh- one of his signatures was he shaved their heads, and he shaved their pubic hair. He was torturing her, and he, she managed to escape. She reported him to the police department. And when they actually arrested him, because they did arrest him for this, um, she declined to press charges because—and these are her words—so I want you to understand what the young woman's state of mind. And he had her for nearly two weeks. Um, He was torturing her, raping her. Uh, He had—he pierced parts of her. So. After all this happens to this woman, who obviously was probably a hitchhiker, she may have been a sex worker. Uh, she says, "I don't see any good in filing charges. It's just going to be my word against his. If there's any, if, if there was evidence, I would file. I would I would file charges and sue him." Well, it was later found out that she was fearful because for two weeks he tortured her in that truck. Um, as I mentioned. He is a sexual sadist. And part of the mechanism of sexual sadists is to be in control. Granted, most of the time they control their victim being a man or a woman through apparatuses like chains or different things to restrain them. Sometimes, and this is very true with these type of killers, they often... You've heard of cases where the victim of a serial killer is left to wander. She is asked to go into the store but come right back. And she does. For the sexual sadist, for the rapist, for the, for the serial killer, that is the biggest high of all. Because he controls her so much with fear that actually letting her go, she comes back. That is huge for this guy. And he makes that mistake by letting Shauna free of her restraint. And she actually leaves. But she doesn't press charges, and he's let go.
1: Let me call you back. Yeah, I was confused when I was reading about this because, so she she goes to the police, and I guess we don't know, did she tell them that she had been tortured? Did she tell them that she had been tortured for several weeks in a very brutal way. Um, And I don't know the laws. I feel like now there's a a chance that they would prosecute him anyway, or at least they would nab him for something, or or at least he would be on their radar. And it seems like he was just allowed to skate free on this.
0: Well, remember, it's 1990, and um, he's not known to be a serial killer. No one knows about him, but it is true. You have these victims who may at first go to the police department and look, let's be honest, and I know the audience knows this because we've talked about it and, they, and other people have talked about it. Law enforcement has talked about it. In the 1970s, the 80s, and 90s, and even in sometime in the 2000s, these young ladies were considered expendable, disposables. And... Because they were at truck stops, because they were hitchhikers, because they may be sex workers, police usually identified them with high risk groups. So if they were a high risk group, no one believed them because they believed in some way, somehow they could blame for this. This happened because they put themselves in this position. That isn't what I feel. That isn't what Matt feels. But this is what how it really was in that field, which was law enforcement. And we've heard about this in numerous occasions. You watch 20, 20, 48 hours, and they talk about this. So this isn't something that I'm making up. So she, in, by her own statement, it's my word against his. That she's already telling you that she believes she's not going to be uh, trusted. Her word is not gonna be held to uh, a high degree. So she felt that it was useless. Obviously, when someone puts someone in their truck, he tortures them, He keeps them in the back, he shaves them head or head. They should have known something was wrong. But you know, a lot of cases.
1: Well, sometimes
0: it's not easy.
1: Couldn't they at least pull him over? If they would have just looked in the cab of his truck, they would have found um, a, basically a torture chamber.
0: Well, they knew that, that he had all this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, she told him, but she didn't press charges. And back then, if you didn't press charges, they let the guy go. You know, it isn't until the early morning of April the 1st, 1990, that right outside of uh, Casa Grande, Arizona, a Peterbilt is on the side of a road. Its hazard lights are flashing. It's near Interstate 10. And a state trooper named Mike Miller pulls over. He is, an, by the way, he is a, uh Arizona Highway Patrol. And when he goes to investigate, because he sees the truck may be in peril, there may be something wrong. Sometimes these big guys and, and these big trucks pull over because there's something definitely wrong with the truck. This state trooper, he gets out to investigate. When he does, he finds... A young woman, nude, in the truck that he's just looking at. She's handcuffed, she's screaming, and there's a male presence. And he identifies himself as the owner of the truck. Who is that person? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is our friend, Robert Ben Rhodes. And he's a cool customer. He immediately tells that um, the officer... Uh, look uh, this isn't what it looks Um, I'm carrying a gun I have a permit for it it's right there and I like the cop says this guy's cool he definitely tells him there's a gun in the truck so there's no misunderstanding the cop actually thinks this guy's a good guy but there's something telling him (laughs) there's a girl right there she's screaming she is dehydrated she has been she has wealth all over her body Her, she's been pierced with objects, and the 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 officer immediately arrests him. He charges him. I mean, what I mean by charges him, he handcuffs him. He puts him in the back of the squad car, and he goes back to investigate to see in what state the young woman is in. He gets there. He uncuffs her. He calls for backup. By the time that he gets that the new squad car shows up, Rhodes has uncuffed himself. He's put the cuffs in front of him. He's about to uncuff himself. Of course, the other officer helps, and they take him in, and they begin to investigate this whole situation. They get a warrant to go into Rose's home, and they then this when they start finding. All the telltale tell signs that we find with serial killers. There are photographs. There are trophies. One of the photographs found is that of a young woman that was found also in 1990, and her name was Patricia Candace Walsh. She's 24 years old. Her and her 26 year old husband, Douglas Scott. I'm I'm sure I mispronounced that, but I'm sorry about that. They're from Seattle, Washington. And they went missing shortly after leaving the city of Washington in 1989. Um, Her husband, Zombrowski's remains were discovered in January of 1990 in Ozona, Texas. Again, near that famous interstate, Interstate 10 that he loves to drive by. The body was not identified until 1992, and then Walsh, a young woman, was also identified in Utah. She was found, and her body was identified, and after Rhodes, of course, was was arrested, uh, he confessed to their murders. He also claimed that they were hitchhiking, he picked them up, he first killed the husband, dumped his body in Sutton County or Sutton County Texas it's exactly where he was found and he kept Walsh for over a week torturing her raping her cutting her and then he dumped the body in Miller County Utah so he got he gets arrested and right away now he starts talking about what he did
1: so uh, do you think at this point I'm guessing. Well, obviously, he'd been killing for a while, but I'm wondering, you know, not restraining the girl prior, and then um, kind of parking essentially in the middle of a highway with your hazards on—pretty brazen. So, is he is he becoming more brazen, or is he just kind of dropping the ball? Well, I think that
0: a, a little bit. Well, obviously, both are true. But he's brazen, and remember. He is speeding up. He is raping, killing. He's got Miss Walsh. She kills her husband. He kills her husband. Um, he takes Shanna Holtz, who, despite being arrested, she, doesn't, she drops the charges. That was only a month after Walsh and uh, Zakowski are, 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 are missing because he murdered them. And then comes right after this, and, and the reason I'm mentioning this, because we haven't gotten to this yet, is that Regina K. Walters, she's only 14 years old, and she's found badly decomposed in September 29, 1990, in the loft of an abandoned barn. Um, she's been missing since February 3, 1990. What's so significant to that is that you have uh, Miss Walsh and her husband, January 1990 you have Shanna Holtz the following month you have Regina K. Walters and her 18 year old boyfriend which that leaves a lot to be raising eyebrows there because 14 year old girl 18 year old boyfriend Um, and right away you see the pattern that was February the 3rd when they went missing he is speeding up you see it so then in April which is A month and a half from the time that he kills Regina and Ricky, he's doing it again. But this time they catch him. What's going on, to answer your question, is he's chasing the rush as serial killers who are – they're moved by impulse, by the need for the rush. He is in his truck. He has this woman in the back. He's feeling it. And he does not. He doesn't care where he's at. He pulls over the side of the road, hits his hazards, and decides now is the time to go on with this. So it's him just basically paying attention to his instincts, instincts, and his instincts tell him to do this. Unfortunately, and unfortunately, they're able to stop him from killing this young woman. And um, Mike um, uh, Mike Miller is a a hero because of that. But it's it's just brazen. This guy is, and look, you have four months right there of him going faster, faster, and faster. And we see this a number of serial killer cases. This guy's a sexual sadist. This didn't just start in 1990. He is hinted they started in 1975 with this kind of behavior. I completely believe that he's very he's already on the path to taking it to a different level. He's chasing the rush. It takes sometimes years to begin to chase the rush to that level. And that's what we have with this guy.
1: Yeah. So with Regina, the 14-year-old girl, he was there are photos that are online that have been um, cropped. You know, there's nothing graphic, but he was taking photos of her and uh, you know they found these photos have you seen these photos
0: i have not seen them and i, I honestly it would be very disturbing to me that a 14 year old child is being she was tortured in this way by a sexual sadist
1: yeah it's it's pretty horrifying but it's it's um i don't know if iconic it's infamous these photos are because uh, of how blood curdling they are. And there's nothing graphic that you can find on online or at least not, you know, with a regular search. But uh, it's just the look in her eyes is is very terrifying and, uh, and heartbreaking. Um, so what kind of fight does he put up? Does he is he lying or does he is it over?
0: it's over he's trying to, to smooth talk his way it's very difficult a young woman screaming that this guy's been tortured her nipples and pierced. her different uh sexual body parts are pierced because he's done it um look this guy even went as far as calling one of the victim's fathers and telling him what he was going to do to her um this guy had this guy's a real piece of work um and all I can say is that, you know, I'm glad that he's arrested, but it, it really does show you the kind of people that drive the highways. Uh, young ladies, young boys, they think that hitchhiking is okay. And it really isn't. You are at the mercy of the person in that car or in that truck. And what happened here, you know, this guy was a public guy. He had an entire torture chamber inside of his cab. And if, if you don't know, these cabs have right behind the driver's cab, they have like a, a small apartment. It's You see a bed, you have a television in there. I'm sure in today's world if probably have more than that. But you can access it through the trailer. So you're in the, the driver's seat. You can just go behind it and just walk into the back. Now, is that really dangerous? Sure, because if you get pulled over a cop can immediately search your car or your truck and, and find it. But he had that girl right there. So you can imagine the type of sexual high he was getting by driving. She is right behind him. He can hear her. He's probably talking to her, telling her what he's going to do to her. And he's just feeding on her fear. Let me call back.
1: Yeah. So I had a few thoughts, none of them too profound. If he's got the torture chamber in the cab I'm wondering where he's sleeping that, I guess that would mean he just has to sleep sitting up maybe but he's driving thousands of miles traversing the whole country um, more importantly I guess he would have to own this truck right because he can't bring it back to the company with the torture chamber in the back Or, um, but those are all neither here nor there I guess no that's
0: actually the truck was his. Mm-hmm. This is a private truck. These Peterbilt's, you just attach your your truck to the trailer and you haul whatever they want you to haul. This was his truck, so the the Peterbilt part, which is the where the engine, the driver's seat, in that part, is the part that you can detach. That is his. The part that he hauls more than likely was something he picked up and he hauled it, or it was his entire trailer and he would have it loaded with whatever he, and then he would take that so no no one would see that trail unless as they pulled over and a cop stepped up and looked inside that would be a different situation I'm sure he had some kind of a door that he closed but when he went to sleep he would just crawl into that back space right there and it's there's usually a, something like a, a twin size bed back there so he could
1: have slept very easily with his victims tied right there next to him right um so, when I look at the, uh, his, his, uh, little kinks or whatever, the needles, you know, poking through nipples and whatnot, I've seen that before and I think that's pretty self explanatory. It's kind of inflicting a lot of pain and, and whatever. Um, the shaving of the head, I don't understand what that's about.
0: Oh, well, I'll tell you. So, Regina, the 14 year old girl, when they found her in that farm, she'd been strangled to death with a wire and a, and a wooden type of beam behind her. So he twisted it to kill her. He strangled her to death. And of course he kept switched, um, twisting it in order to inflict the most damage to the body. I've talked about damaging that serial killers like to damage the body. And that also is a part of their, you know, this, this crazed, um, uh, lunacy that they like by destroying the body any way they can with him his signature was that he would shave the heads and then he would shave the pubic hair area that's the signatures not the m-o the m-o is is what he does how he lures the victim how he gets them and that is that he drives around he picks up hitchhikers sex workers he lures them in a truck offering them a ride offering them to get high whatever and that's his m-o that's how he does it the signature is not Uh, something he does that helps them kill. The signature is what he does, what he thinks. It's like a ritual for him. So as I've talked about this before, you see basketball players when they come to the free-throw line, they touch their head, they bounce the ball twice, they breathe twice, they shrug their shoulders, and then they shoot the ball. They do it every single time they shoot the ball. Baseball players do something very similar. They touch their gloves, they hit their hat twice, they touch their ankles, all this crazy stuff they do and They do it every single time they prepare to go bats. And each time the ball is pitched, they do it again. That's a ritual. That's a signature. So imagine that in a killer's atmosphere, when he shaves the head, he shaves the pubic hair. That's his ritual.
1: And he was also really into having white towels. Uh, I guess when they searched his apartment, they found many, many white towels. But he always had white towels. Uh, some, some of them with blood on them. To me, it the, what seems like an obvious explanation is he wants to see the blood um collecting on the towel you know if, if blood falls onto a concrete floor or, or whatever the the um cab of his truck is you know black rubber whatever but you know when it, when it falls on a white towel just like on snow you know it's it's bright brilliant red that's what i'm assuming that's about
0: It's possible. We don't know for sure because each of those guys has their own twist. Um, And and, and a bit of cruelty on his part, too. I mentioned before, but he actually called Regina Walter's father. And anonymous calls. It was a private number that obviously he got from Regina. Um, And he told her, told him, I mean, the father, I've made some changes to her. I've cut her hair. Um, he said that she is in a lot. And when the father asked, is my daughter alive? Rhodes hung up. So that is a bit of, again, that, that cruel to the sadism, that the things that he likes to do so much, he proves they're again. Um, look, this guy, he confessed to these murders. He confessed to them. They found things in his house. They found pictures. Um, he really didn't have any problem in confessing to this stuff that he did. He was tried. He was convicted. He's doing life. Um, they actually asked, extradited him to Texas because the parents of one of the young ladies did not want to go through all the testimony, did not want to testify. They knew that he had other murders, and he would never get out, and that was good enough for them. They didn't want to go through a process, so he went from Utah to Texas, and— He was actually convicted and sentenced um, to life in prison. He is never getting out. I believe that he is now, well, he's very old now. He's not dead by now, but I think that he's still alive. Um, Not a very good guy. Uh, A person who killed and tortured for many years. He was only convicted of four murders but I, as I mentioned before, I don't believe that you should be fooled by that. He killed many more times. And the proof is that these young ladies that he killed uh, were tortured in a certain way to suggest that he had no hesitation. And that he already knew exactly what he's gonna do. One of the FBI uh, agents that he had never seen such a meticulous rape kit as he carried he carried a suitcase actually and it had different items from handcuffs to chains to whips to sexual toys etc but it was so meticulous that he said after so many years as an fbi agent to this day i still have not seen a kit so complete and so meticulous Even Rhodes' ex-wife said he was meticulous, super clean about everything, which comes into the thing about the white towels. His apartment looked like, when she first started dating him, like it was just cleaned by a housekeeper. His truck, same thing, extremely meticulous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, man, you know, truck stops are pretty... They're, they're scary places. They, they have a kind of an otherworldly feel to them because, you know, if you go to one at, at night, it's going to be pitch black because you're in the middle of nowhere. But then there's these bright, blinding lights and they, you know, they make everyone's skin look like vampires and, and they're dirty and there's freaks out in the parking lot and there's people moving that are on hard times and you you know there's there's just a lot of bad energy like i've been um i've been out on the road you know especially when i was younger i couldn't afford a motel i'm like should i sleep at a truck stop where it's bright next to these long haulers or you know because i know a lot of those guys most of them good guys some of them not but or, you know, just sleep like in the pitch blackness on the side of a highway, which is kind of like being alone in the woods. You know, neither feeling is great, but um, yeah, the truck stop. I've seen documentaries about lot lizards and, uh, man, truck stops are fucked up, right?
0: Yeah, it's a very seedy uh, scene and everything from drug deals to uh, sexual deals prostitution there is kidnapping there is uh, human trafficking Uh, there is so much stuff going on in these places that it's a miracle that we don't have more information about it it is a world in its own as you mentioned the lighting everything you walk in there at first you probably don't notice much it's a diner guys eat there they leave that looks pretty Americana pretty normal But if you know what you're looking for, and you walk outside, especially if you're a former trucker, or you just have the eyes to see it, you're going to see a lot of things going on, drug deals, sex deals, Um, you're going to see trucks with girls or boys in it that are very young. And, you know, most people don't want to get involved. And... In those days, law enforcement didn't really look too hard there because again, it's part of the sex trade. It's part of the people that are sex workers. So they figured they're a high risk group. They're there because they wanna be. If we arrest them, they're still gonna go back to that place. So why try and help them? Well, the truth is that, well, shame on you because a lot of those people in those truck stops are not there because they wanna be. Some of them being kidnapped, Some of them are being held against their will. Maybe some of them are part of a sex trade, a sex industry that they do not want to be in. It's uh, human trafficking. A lot of bad stuff happens in those places. And um, as we can see with um, Robert Ben Rhodes, he's just one element that exists there.
1: Yeah. So before we go, uh, Rhodes... As far as truckers go, I'm going to guess, and let me know what what your guess is, but your educated guess, but I would say there were maybe four or five contemporary trucker serial killers operating around that time. Um, what do you think, and do you think he ever had any run-ins? Do you think they ever talked about this kind of stuff on the CB? Or I mean, that'd be pretty dangerous, I guess, but... Do you think he was aware that other guys were doing this, like aware of who they were?
0: Absolutely. And I, and I say this because some truckers are very, other serial killers that were truckers, there's, there's a lot of them. There's more than four or five. There's a lot more. Um, but that being said, most of them are very private. He was different because he was part of the BDSM scene. That leads to conversations. Because he's part of that scene, he had friends in that scene, and he probably talked to other truckers about it. Other truckers shared information with about what they liked. And I think, yeah, I think he knew of other truckers that were doing similar things. And I said, like I said, he, I think he's different because he talks about it. He's involved in that scene. You have to confide in other because you need other people to do that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I would say that other people knew about him and knew about, maybe not that he was a serial killer, but that he was involved in that scene
1: and maybe some other truckers knew possibly exactly what he was doing. Yeah, well, that's such an uh, easy lead-in, right? So if I was having a beer and some guy said he was into S&M, I might have a few questions. I might not. I might just decide not to talk to him. But that's such an easy segue to be like, oh, you you like breaking bones? You know, some shit like that, right?
0: Well, no, they can say, well, you know, there is the, this bondage but have you ever taken it to a different level? See what kind of response he gets. There's a lot of ways to get into that conversation. I'm sure he did. He wasn't a dumb guy. He knew what he was doing, and he liked what he was doing most of all. So, stay away from truck stops.
1: Yeah, and he's still alive, so... uh... That's that's awesome, but he's on his way out. Anyway, yeah, thanks for suggesting that case, whoever that was. Really weird. Um, glad they caught him. He's got a lot of victims, but... 60 seconds remaining. Yeah, stay away from truck stops. Anyway, until next time, I've been Matt Ralston. And hey, I'm
0: William Noguera. Before I go, please sign up for my newsletter. You can be signed up at williamnoguera.com. I have my website back with my original name so please check in and until next time be safe be aware of your surroundings your life can depend on it